And we are finally back. I want to start by giving a shout out to my co-host and one of my best friends, Brandon, here for getting married over the weekend. But he's back. We're here to record. We're going to start the episode by discussing the situation ongoing at Oklahoma State with Mike Gundy and Chuba Hubbard. And then we continue to another just as not great situation brewing in Mississippi and Starkville with Colin Hill. But this one involves the NCAA. And then we continue our segment where we re-rank past recruiting classes. And today we analyze the loaded 2014 recruiting class. And we wrap it up with another recruiting update. And today we head to Madison, Wisconsin to look at the Wisconsin Badgers. We have a full show today, guys. So let's kick it off. So on June 15th, a picture was leaked that showed Oklahoma State head coach Mike Gundy wearing a One American News Network shirt. And it's been known to be a very, very far right news network that even promotes conspiracy theories. And after that picture leak, it did not take long for star running back Chuba Hubbard to respond to the picture and tweet, quote, I will not stand for this. This is completely insensitive to everything going on in society, and it is unacceptable. I will not be doing anything with Oklahoma State until things change, and end quote. P- then Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports just recently dropped a report suggesting that this has run deeper than just a shirt that Gundy was wearing. According to Thamel, Gundy has shown a repeated inability to remember younger players' names and even addresses younger players just by their number that they were on the field. And other athletic department employees have suggested that the disconnect between Gundy and the players seems to be growing. Um, And worst of all, Gundy in this report continued practice after walk-on Anthony Diaz almost died after his heart stopped on the practice field and even after practice called Diaz Nate Diaz, who was a current MMA fighter and showed no empathy <coughs> in the huddle. So Hubbard and Gundy released a video where they vowed to educate Gundy and improve the well-being of all athletes at Oklahoma State. So Brandon, this is a lot of information to take in. I just threw a lot at you and a lot at our listeners, but what is your main takeaway on Hubbard and these new reports on Gundy that we might have not even heard because it came out today, I believe, um, from Thamel? And what look, does this mean for the future of Oklahoma State football? Oh, look, man, if they weren't already on in, in on rocky soil, then good lord, they are now. I, I mean, I like I said, like I've said before, and I'll continue to say, we are a sports podcast. We will not dive into the politics of everything. I think it was very tone deaf to wear that news network shirt right now, uh, especially when it, you you know when you say the word news, it's used very loosely because, like Zach said, they promote conspiracy theories a lot. Um, but that's beside the point. The the, the thing I'm going to focus on here is is the whole not getting to know your players thing. And if you think that's a good luck, then you can just I, I don't I don't know what you can do. You know, I can hear it right now. People coming up and saying, oh, Brandon, you know, we didn't – my high school coach, my high school coach didn't know my name till my senior year. He called me by my number. What's wrong with that? Uh, well, 
you aren't on scholarship at a Division One college football program. You probably walked out to practice and your coach forgot to cut you. So that's that's the first spot uh, that we're going to stop out that we're going to stop at. Um, if you're if you are playing Division One college football, your coach needs to develop that relationship with you, or. or or what? Or are you going to feel useless? I mean, you need to feel part of this team. You're contributing. You're contributing not only that, you're contributing for free to this team. So the least that can happen is your coach can get to know you. I think this is an awful look for recruiting for, for Oklahoma State. And I really think Mike Gundy needs to change a lot. I, I mean, we talked about him. We've, we've had uh, – we, we've even had uh, Oklahoma State's play-by-play um, director come on. We spoke with him about how great of a coach we thought Mike Gundy was. Which, you know, when it comes down to it, just coaching football, yeah, he's he's great. But other than that, I mean, it's starting to sound more and more like like this guy is not not very tasteful. He's not, I don't know. He, I, I believe the college football coaching comes down to more than just hey, can you call the right place at the right time? I think it comes down to hey, you have these relationships with these guys. These guys want to play for you. These guys want to win for you. And I just don't think Mike Gundy has that. Yeah, and don't forget, Brandon, I don't know if you saw this. I think it was two or three days ago, some players that Gundy played against while Gundy was playing college football have come out and said that Gundy repeatedly used racial slurs in games toward opponent to opponents. And that's been validated by multiple players. So that's probably whatever Gundy has said at this point. I mean, that almost kind of that that almost invalidates it right at this point. I mean, I think so. And I understand the notion that people change, that people's worldviews can change because they do. Um, do I think that you should be punished for something that happened 30 years ago at the right times? I think this is one of those sort of things. You know, you can't run around using racial slurs left and right and then go coach you know, a, a team of, of kids that you probably would have called those racial slurs at one point. I mean, if he truly has changed, if his mindset truly has changed, then better – that's good on him, and that's fantastic, and I don't think you can fault the guy. But you have to think with everything that, that he's shown, at least through the past – or at least as things have been exposed through the past month or so for Mike Gundy that there, there's obviously still like like a seed if, if, if nothing else. There's got to be like a little bit of like, like deep like deep-rooted – some sort of seed there that, that is – not good and and kind of reflects on what a lot of people would lead you to believe is strictly his past. Yeah. And I listen, guys, I want to start by saying, like Brandon said, not political podcast, but I just want to say I'm really happy to see college football players using their voice and power that they actually do have to speak out against things like this in their own program and other communities across the country. And I hope we have more athletes. We have one next segment that that did follow uh, Hubbard's lead who are inspired to use their voices to promote change that changes that are needed in our country. And I think Brandon echoes that a hundred percent. And you know, if we keep this surface level, which is the shirt issue, then I do think what Hubbard said and what Gundy said is true where Gundy just needed to be educated at the very minimal. But I think the new report, once you dug deeper, I don't I don't I'm not sure if education is the only solution here Brandon and based on this new information to for for me at least it seems like as if the chemistry and togetherness of this Cowboys team who have really high expectations are going to be very very low in terms of chemistry and I mean we even had 
um, John Morris Baylor's play-by-play even speak about Oklahoma State has real goals this year, guys. They're going to be real. They're going to be very, very good. But I, I see this going one of two ways. And first is the team just rallies together. They're, they, 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 they actually are brought closer because they're in this fight together and they gel really, really well throughout the year. And, but then the second thing is, I mean, Brandon, I, I know we've talked about maybe this happened in Mississippi State with Mike Leach, but what happens if the team reacts to the coaching staff poorly and this team just falls apart? I mean, that has to lead to Gundy's dismissal, right? It has to. I, I mean, if there's, I don't know. It, I, I'm personally on the train of don't fire him right now. Like, yeah, I don't think what he's done is great. I don't think the things that are coming out about him are good at all. Um, but, you know, we I, I spoke on it just a few moments ago about how the argument could be made that he has changed, that things have changed. But if, if there's evidence you know, to the contrary of that, then, yeah, I mean, for sure. Right. I mean, he's got to go. And I just want I was going to address this a little bit later, but I think it fits in now. If Chuba Hubbard leaves Oklahoma State, he's got to be gone. Right. For me, if Chuba Hubbard leaves Oklahoma State because of this, I think Gundy has to be let go immediately. I mean, this is the best Oklahoma State player since maybe Barry Sanders that is at Oklahoma State. And he's going to leave because your coach is too is is not educated and he's insensitive and he's not running a great program and you lose the best player you've had since probably one of the be- best college players of all time leave. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I definitely think that, I mean, who else would it fall on if not Mike Gundy in that, in that scenario? Um, so yeah, I, I mean, if nothing else, I think if he leaves, there definitely needs to be some disciplinary, uh, disciplinary action toward Mike Gundy. Um, you know, even if that's, hey, you need to take these classes on, on how, how to under or to be more sensitive to the, to the subject or, hey, you know, I don't know, something, uh, you know, dismissal seems like a lot. And I'm not saying that it's uncalled for it, it just to be more realistic, I guess I would say maybe some kind of disciplinary uh, disciplinary action might need to be taken. Oh, yeah. No, and that's just purely speculative because as of right now, Hubbard has said he is gonna, going to return and that he even apologized for his tweet, which I don't think he should have had to apologize for his tweet personally, but I get it. But for me, this story raises major concerns in terms of Gundy's leadership and the quality of program he's running. I mean, Brady, you already kind of mentioned it. How how in the world does this have a positive effect on recruiting? I oh, mean, it doesn't. There's no chance. How do you go into a kid's living room and look his parents in the eye who, who possibly are min- are minorities from the African-American community and you have all this on your back where you, you you may have been using racial slurs in games when you were in college. You're wearing this shirt that promotes insensitive ideas about minorities. I mean, I don't understand how you can go look a parent in the face on the couch and say that your program is the best program in the country for them to attend because I think it would be a bold-faced lie to say that. And, right. and, and and the reason – and I want to address this real quick. The reason I'm not speaking too much about the shirt that he wore is because I'm not very educated on that. Like I don't understand – you know, and, and like I'm just taking Zach's word for it like purely right now. Like I don't understand what this news network is. I don't know what they believe, what they, what they put out there. And so I'm not going to speak on that. I, I'm purely going to speak on, hey, there's these things that Mike Gundy said back then. Hey – Mike Gundy doesn't get to know his players. Hey, Mike Gundy may have been insensitive. And that's, I just wanted to put that out in the open. 
Yeah, and like, what's a big thing in recruiting, Brandon? It's hey, your kids coming to join our family up here. Like you, like your kid and you are going to be part of our family. How are you going to tell a kid's family that when they're going to be like, what is he going to be number twelve to you, or yeah, is he going exactly. to be his I, name? Exactly, you're right. You're absolutely right, and that's what that's what I'm saying. You know, I said at the very beginning of this segment, you know, there there are going to be the people who who send us messages that say, hey, my my middle school coach called me number 12 until <laughs> until I left and he finally knew my name. No, that's because you were the third string quarterback on your on your middle school team. You're not a college athlete. You're you're you were not recruited to go play for this college for free. Exactly. And I'm on your side about that one. And the second thing this brings me to that makes me have a concern is, Brandon, how much talent has Oklahoma State had in Gundy's tenure? I mean, we've talked what Justin Blackman made our all decade team. We have Chuba Hubbard here. We, I mean, Oklahoma State was my wide receiver, you. Uh, I mean, so they've had so much talent. And this kind of brings into question the how good is this program really running under Gundy? And if you had a coach that had a better handle on himself and the program where it, it was a true family, how much more successful could could Oklahoma State be? I, I know you don't like don't like to speculate too much, but for me at least, it brings doubts into my head whether Gundy is executing well enough to to take advantage of the talent he has. I mean, he has been to Fiesta Bowls, he has competed for the Big Twelve, but. Has this kind of stuff where players might not be all the way bought in prevented them from reaching the peaks that they could have? Right, absolutely. And it it probably will, right? And it probably has. I think it has. I, I really do think it has. I mean, I believe it was the 2011 team who almost made the national title. I I think that team was could have been the best team in the country. And you know, who can say uh, otherwise? I I don't know. But, you know, before we just drag, you know, Mike Gundy and Oklahoma State through the mud, I just want to end this segment with the idea again, guys. I mean, Brandon, I don't know how many times we've said this on the podcast. I mean, these past few months between Mike Leach, Dabo Sweeney, and Mike Gundy, I think this should be a, an eye-opening series of events for other college football coaches out there and and other just – sports coaches across the country just to educate yourself and realize that your decisions and the little things that you do affect these, you know, student athletes more than you can imagine. And, and their voice carries across this country. And I think it just, it really should, I hope it get to a better place out of this, but I just want to end it on a more positive note than that. But um, we're going to move on to another situation. And this one it goes down to Mississippi, and earlier this week, reports of Mississippi creating a second flag, not taking away their original flag, but making a second flag due to the backlash recently about the current flag containing the Confederate flag within its design has just been a real issue down south. And current Mississippi State running back Colin Hill finally decided to speak out, and he tweeted, quote, either change the flag or I won't be representing this state anymore. And I mean that I'm tired. And after some Twitter backlash, Hill then tweeted, unlike the rest, I was born in this state and I know what that flag means. Um, 
But Hill had the support of the SEC and NCAA. They echoed his sentiment by announcing that all championship events will be banned from states that use this symbol, which added even more pressure to the state of Mississippi. So, Brandon, what is your opinion on this issue? I mean, you are like me. I'm for, like we're both from Alabama, Mississippi area. So, what's your opinion on this? And could, how how could things get any worse for Mississippi State after what happened earlier this year with Mike Leach? Yeah, man. You said it. No, I'm from, I was, well, I'm not really from Mississippi. I was born in Mississippi. Um, and I went to school in Mississippi and I've lived my life. Uh, at, right now I live as far as I've ever lived from Mississippi and I live an hour away from Mississippi at, at the closest point. So I've grown up around this. I've seen this flag. I've seen everything to do with it. And I've seen the way it's affected people. Um, I've seen both sides of the argument, and, and and per usual, I'm not going to speak on the political um, aspect of this. Um, but when it comes down to it, I, I like you said during the last segment, it's always good to see these players using the platform that they have for for betterment or for change. And I think that's what Kylan Hill is doing here. I, I mean, Zach, who's the best player on Mississippi State's team this year? It's Colin Hill, and it's not even close. It's not close. Who's the best player on Mississippi State's team in the past five years? Um, if it's not Dak Prescott, it's Colin Hill. Exactly. And Dak in college, he's done a lot better in the NFL than he did in college. So I, I, I'm firmly, I'm firmly on Colin Hill here. Um, that, that's a statement. You know, it's it, it's sort of the same thing as as Chuba Hubbard in Oklahoma at Oklahoma state, except for, I think Chuba Hubbard wanted to take a stand, wanted to use his voice. And I think he did want to change, but Kylan Hill, I think is very serious about this. And I could definitely see him transferring if, if there's not a change made, or if maybe if Mississippi state doesn't, doesn't disavow from this flag. I know for instance, uh, the university of Southern Mississippi quit flying the the Mississippi state flag on their campus. I think five years ago, they just, they, they, one morning they just up and quit. Now every single weekend they have protesters in front of the campus with, with the Mississippi state flag. Um, just, I don't know really. I mean, I, I guess I can see what they're protesting, but I don't really see why they just fly three American flags in front of campus instead of, uh, instead of, um, Instead of the American flag, the Mississippi flag, and the university flag. Um, but Mississippi, um, St- Mississippi State and Ole Miss stopped flying the flag in 2016. So they also joined Southern Miss in that. So the Mississippi State flag is nowhere on Mississippi State or Ole Miss's campuses. Well, I'm glad you had that on deck. But, yeah, I, I mean, I think he's using this platform for change. Um, I think in light of, of things that have happened in Mississippi State somewhat recently uh, – there's a tweet from Mike Leach that we've talked about quite a few times now. Um, I, th- I think it's time for change. I think even people that that are that you would never expect are on the side of change here. I don't think they're wanting, hey, we need a second flag. I think they're like, okay, well, let's just get a new flag. You know, there, there's people everywhere. People are speaking, and I think Mississippi's on the verge of just changing their flag. Um, and that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about how it's going to affect uh, recruiting, how it's going to affect college football, and. and and I think that this affects it in a very strong way. You know, I think that Kylan Hill, like I mentioned earlier, is if he's not the best player at Mississippi State over the, in the past decade, he's up there. Um, and I think that it, it takes someone like him to 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 do this. And I think what he's doing is going to help Mississippi State out in the long run. This helps with the recruiting. This 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 shows recruits that hey, 
the players there aren't going to sit around and do nothing. They're going to be vocal. They're going to use their voice that they have. Maybe if I go there, I'll have that voice or the very least I'll be around those people that, that I agree with. Uh, or even if you don't agree with them, I mean, you see that they're taking, that they're taking a stand, they're making, uh, you know, they're, they're taking charge and they're trying to make change. And I think that's respectable, you know, no matter what, what side you're on, uh, in, in this, yeah, I don't even know if it's a debate, you know, whatever, no matter what side you're on here, uh, I think you have to respect Kylan Hill for what he's doing and what, how he's trying to bring change to the state that he's from and into the state that the university that he represents is in. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, like you said, another great example of a college football athlete using their power and voice. And like you said, me and me and Brandon can relate to this. I mean, I probably have lived dry, easily, easily under under probably under 30 minutes from Mississippi my entire life. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad the country is overall coming together to inspire a change like this. And like I said, Mississippi State Ole Miss do not fly this flag. So the universities are backing Colin Hill here. And I think the pressure is building because, I mean, Brandon, every I saw a few tweets that was like, why does this put pressure on the state? The SEC championship is held in Atlanta for football. I believe it's in held in Hoover, right, for baseball? Yeah, for baseball. Yeah, yeah and, 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 and I think and basketball so- is – yeah, basketball's in Nashville, but the the key is that um, I believe softball rotates. Yeah. So the so the SEC softball tournament rotates to different universities, and people also forget the NCAA also said this. So, um, Brandon, I know you can kind of speak on this, um, being a bigger baseball college baseball guy. Mississippi State's really really good at baseball. So how many yeah. re- how many regionals and super regionals could the, could this state lose if they choose to hold out here? Has the NCAA yeah uh, they, backed the, the SEC here? Yes, the NCAA has has also said that they're going to keep like conference championships and like big events from states that um, associate themselves with like uh, the Confederate oh. flag or stuff like that. Well, and it's not only Mississippi State here. I mean, Mississippi State obviously a powerhouse in baseball, but in, in Southern Miss is is no joke. They yes, the they're also World good. Series ten years ago, you know they're 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 serious. I mean, they host regionals almost every single year. They've hosted super regionals in the past. So I mean, you're taking away from, I mean, an Ole Miss isn't awful, you know. They they they'll hold regionals uh, occasionally, and so you've got potentially three. NCAA uh, regional spots that are just going to be lost. I mean, you're punishing your own schools, your own state-funded public universities, b- because I don't know, man. I I, I don't want to get too far into this, but I you mean, get well, the point. You get well, the I point. Mean, I mean, for a super regional, guys, like, in case you guys don't know about baseball, I mean, it's not just Mississippi State versus a team. It's a group of teams that come into Mississippi State and share that stadium together. It's, it's usually, I think, Super Regionals are what, four it's teams? Four. Yeah. So wait, it's Mississippi wait. State. Super, and, super, I'm sorry. Super Regionals are, I believe it's just two. two. Yeah, and re- regionals are four. So you're talking about if Mississippi State loses a regional, you have tourists from three other states that you're losing money from, and that's millions of dollars in just a weekend of baseball. And for football, we don't know what's coming down the line, but, I mean, the it. I'm assuming Atlanta's not going to host the SEC championship forever. I mean, stuff changes all the time, and you never know what stuff's going to go to. And in softball, there's some big money in SEC softball too, guys. Um, so I, I think, you know, the biggest thing for me is the players that are going to change their mind on coming to these universities. I mean, 
Uh, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, listen, guys, yes, they're not Ohio State. They're not Alabama. They're not Clemson, LSU, et cetera, et cetera. They're not winning national titles. But Mississippi State and Ole Miss have been ranked number one within, like, what, the last five years? Yeah. Um, yeah. People forget Mississippi State was the very first team to be ranked number one in the college football playoff poll. The very first is, that- is third. Was third yeah. in that poll. So, guys, these are big time programs, and they recruit nationally. And you know, uh, same thing as I've talked about with uh, Mike Gundy, and we've already highlighted it kind of with um, Mike Leach. Is how do you convince you know kids to come play for your program? You can't look those parents in the eye and say that, hey, you know, like yeah. You know what Mississippi is. And I think, you know, I don't, and free publicity, I guess, you know, I was kind of reading up on the story. And I think Stephen A. Smith said it best. I think the perception of Mississippi is suffering a lot. Because, I mean, that just if you talk to anyone across the country and you say Mississippi, there, there's some people that'll look at you crazy. I'm sure Brandon can vouch for that as we've all traveled <laughs> with other places. Um, but I want to talk about Coblin Hill here. I mean, Brandon is being very nice. For me, last year, I think Colin Hill was a top two SEC running back. He was that good, guys. He led the SEC in rushing until like week eight or nine. Um, and I, that would be a giant loss to Mississippi State as a program and just the state of Mississippi in general. I mean, and then you add that to the series of transfers after Leach's controversial insensitive tweet. I mean, Mississippi State is suffering here, guys. And, you know, it's not just because of Leach being insensitive. Now the state government it's been shown to be insensitive and unwilling and uneducated about this change. And so I think this is doing horrible things to Mississippi state, Ole Miss, Southern Miss. I mean, all these programs are really suffering at the hands of a government who just doesn't seem to be making the right thing. But I want to give you guys an update. Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin today we're recording on Thursday, both went and met with legislators in the state of Mississippi uh, to attempt to change the flag, and Leach has went on to say that a flag should unify its people, and this one does not, so change to this flag is needed. Um, and I'm really glad to see Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin taking a lot, taking a role on the front line to aid in getting this issue fixed. And I think it does really speak volumes that, you know, Lane Kiffin wasn't even involved in anything. Like, Mike Leach was kind of, like, you, you got to, you were already in trouble. Like you need to speak up, but I mean, I'm really happy to see, you know, at least Lane Kiffin making a stand on this as well. Right. And I don't want to move back to the Michael Leach thing. I mean, we spoke about it before, but I don't think that he, he's a weird guy. I'll, I'll leave it at that. He's a really weird guy, really weird humor. And I don't think that was like racially charged. I don't, but that that's, that's a different story. We've already spoken on it. So let's, let's just move on. Yeah. So guys, Next segment, we're finally, we're back into like full time college football here on this one. And it is going to be our segment, um, where we re rank past recruiting classes. So last episode, last full episode, we were taking, we took a little break, gave you guys some interviews. Hope you guys like those. We began a segment where Brandon and I re ranked recruiting classes starting in 2013. We, we only are reanalyzing the top 100 because it takes, a lot to do that. We couldn't go through what a thousand two four seven composite recruits, and we repicked the top five players from each class based on only their college years. I had to specify that because uh, Brandon did not get the memo last episode. Um, exactly. But we're gonna 
<laughs> I've got to call you out, man. Um, we're starting with today. We are going with the loaded 2014 class. This class was headlined by Leonard Fournette, who went on to LSU, and Miles Garrett, who went on to Texas A&M. And to say they each lived up to the hype throughout their college careers probably is an understatement. So, Brandon, as I said, we're going to snake this, and we're going to go in reverse order. So who is your number five recruit in this re-rank? This this one was so tough, Zach. And I know we spoke about how hard it was. We didn't actually talk about who we picked beforehand, but we talked about how hard this this list was to rank because, I mean, it's just that loaded. And I agree with what you just said 100% about how Miles Garrett and Leonard Fournette really lived up to the hype. And that's kind of why it pains me to do this. So with my number five pick, this class was so loaded, guys. My number five pick, I'm going to have to go with Leonard Fournette in in this class. He was number two um, in this recruiting cycle in 2014. Um, And, yeah, he lived to the hype. He was injured his junior season uh, pretty pretty badly. And so that, that season he only rushed for 843 yards in seven games, which is very good for seven games, by the way. Um, but other than that, I mean, he came out his freshman year, I mean, just just kicking, right? Uh, I mean, he played 13 games that season, 187 touches for just over 1,000 yards rushing. He averaged five and a half yards on the ground every single touch, 10 touchdowns. Um, he had a few receptions. He's not really a receiving back. Uh, I think he's kind of moved forward to being more of a receiving back in the NFL now. But we're not here talking about the NFL. Zach's made that abundantly clear. Um but yeah, I mean, he ended up, I mean, overall with 194 touch, uh, touches um, in his freshman year. But where he really stood out was his sophomore season at LSU, where he had 300 touches on the ground with nearly 2,000 yards rushing. He had 1,953 yards. He averaged six and a half yards. That means over 300 carries. He averaged over six yards every single time he touched the ball. Um, 22 rushing touchdowns. He had nearly 20 receptions this year with almost 300 uh, yards receiving um, and a touchdown even. And then on to his junior year where he was injured, where where he like – I already mentioned those stats. Uh, I think overall incredible, incredible uh, span uh, playing for LSU. Um, I forgot that he – I forgot that he returned uh, punts and kicks his freshman year, which he did. They obviously didn't want him doing that very often. But when he was returning kicks, he had 24 returns and he averaged 26 yards a return. Uh, he even had he even had a um, he even had a return for a touchdown on one of those. So that was actually a kick. He returned kicks, not punts. Uh, anyway, incredible um, tenure for Leonard Fournette at LSU, but somehow he lands at number five on my list. Uh, Brandon, I don't know how you even had him on your list. He really? he was he was eighth when I re-ranked like the ten players what? who I was considering for the top five. He was not on my list. And the shocking part is I have two running backs in my top five. So okay. I know you're gonna be a little upset about that. Um, but my number five player, it's kind of same as Brandon, Miles Garrett at Texas A&M. He was the top two player in this class originally, but he still lands in the top five. But there's just four players that just had overall better careers than Garrett. Um, but at the same time, Garrett was one of the most dominant D linemen in SEC history. I mean, he ranks top top ten in SEC history for tackles for loss, sacks, and fumbles force. So I think those are pretty pretty good stats for a guy who only played three years. I mean, he was a consensus All-American, but he was a consensus All-American in his worst statistical year. 
which I feel like they gave him that consensus All-American because he didn't make it early in his career. I mean, double-digit sacks in 2014 and 15, and he had 12 tackles for loss or more every single season at A&M. And, you know, he was one of the best defense fins in, in, like you said, in SEC history and was the number one pick in the NFL. I mean, I think he deserved a high ranking in this class, and I don't blame the scouts for having him. I mean, I've looked at some composites. Some had him one, Fournette two. Some had Fournette one, him two. So it went back and forth. But I think, you know, looking at some of these other other players' overall bodies of work made them made him drop to number five. And the, one of these players, Brandon, probably can speak on him. I don't think Brandon had him on his list, but I want Brandon to speak on this player because this is Brandon's team, and that's Jamal Adams out of LSU. He's I have an honorable hit, mention on my list. Honorable yeah, mention. He's number four on, for me. He was number 32 overall originally. And, Brad, I'll let you out. Before I go, I want you to kind of speak on this guy because I know you probably watched a lot more of Jamal Adams than even I did. Yes, love Jamal Adams, obviously. Um, I hope he gets that trade he wants because who wants to be stuck in New York? But, um, no, I mean, Jamal Adams was just an unreal player on the field. I, I just feel like Leonard Fournette had a little bit more firepower to him. Zach, you could speak to – how much firepower Leonard Fournette had, right? Uh, yeah, um, you know, Leonard Fournette gave me my first Baton Rouge experience. I remember I was sitting like five rows from the lights in Death Valley. It was like a 2.30 game. It was like 9 million degrees. And Leonard Fournette um, assaulted a guy and murdered him on the field, and no one did anything about it. So I'm still looking for justice there. So anyway, back to Jamal Adams. Like I said, he's an honorable mention for me. Uh, he was actually number six on my list. So, um, mm-hmm. I mean, just to speak on him, it, there was something different about him because what I remember from watching him at LSU um, is main. The big thing I remember about watching him is that I just didn't understand how he had so many tackles for loss. It seemed like every season as a safety that just didn't seem possible, but he just did. Um, I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head for tackles 18. for loss. 18. 18 t- See, that's nuts. A safety should not be allowed to have 18 tackles for loss. And, over he, and he also had two sacks. Yeah. How do you have, how do you have sacks as a safety? Uh, that's beside the point. I, I mean, I remember his sophomore season being a big year for interceptions. Um, I think it was four or five that year. Uh, anyway, yeah, I, it was. You know, I, I just remember him being just like the overall package at a safety. And, and he's, when you think about LSU as DBU, I mean, there's obvious, there's obviously other people you think of, but Jamal Adams is one of those big, like if I had to do like a Mount Rushmore, like my top four LSU DBs, he's on it for sure. Yeah, guys. And you know, we're three players in between the both of us and it's another SEC player here. So I, we might have a small bias, but I only have one other SEC player on my list after this. So like Brandon said, Adams one of the most dominant DBs in SEC history. I mean, throughout three years, over 200 tackles as a safety. And, you know, DB stats are real hard to analyze, especially at safety. Um, but at LSU, Adams stood out to me, and he sh- and it showed with him being a top 10 pick in the NFL draft. And over his last two seasons, had five interceptions, 10 pass deflections, two forced fumbles, two fumble recoveries. He was a playmaker, and for me, he was the perfect safety at LSU because he really just shut down a side of a field. It's kind of the problem I ran into a few episodes ago talking about Jalen Ramsey because, I mean, he really didn't have a lot of stats to talk about, but if you watch the film, people avoided throwing to his side of the field, and that was Jamal Adams for you while he was at LSU. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, fantastic DB. Um, to move forward, though, uh, this one's going to be a little bit boring because Zach already had him on his list. I've got Miles Garrett. So four and five on my list were the number one and two in 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 the uh, 247 rankings for 2014. Um, but I'll go ahead and move on. Zach's already set the stats. I mean, he was an unreal player, and he went first overall. So he did something right. Uh, to move forward, I, I actually have another running back, and, and I do not have any more SEC players on my list. The rest of my list, no no SEC. They're actually in three different conferences. But number three on my list, I've got another running back, uh, Christian McCaffrey, just an outstanding player. In my opinion, the best running back in this class. Um, and I think he's even better in the NFL, but Zach won't let me talk about the NFL for some reason. Guys, we're going to have an NFL podcast one day, I promise, but not today. Um, but to talk about Christian McCaffrey, I, I mentioned how Leonard Fournette might have been transformed into more of a receiving back once he got to the NFL. Uh, Christian McCaffrey is obviously the epitome of a receiving back today, but he was even that in college. I, I mean, good God, over his, uh, over his career at Stanford, he had 99 receptions over three seasons. Uh, and that includes 45 his sophomore year alone. You know, he had 45 receptions his sophomore year for 645 yards. And if you don't want to do the math, that's 14.3 yards per reception, five receiving touchdowns. And that's not even to talk about his rushing stats his sophomore season. His sophomore season, this man had 337 touches for 2019 yards. That's he averaged six yards per carry over 337 carries. I mean, that's absolutely insane. Um, he somehow had had nearly the same. I don't like to say the same stats. His senior season, uh, it, he kind of fell off a little bit, and that's that's hard to say that he fell off because he still had 1600 yards rushing and 310 yards in the air. I mean, this guy almost had 2,000 you know total yards from scrimmage. And I say that he fell off. That's just because his his sophomore season, he had 2,700 yards from scrimmage. Uh, this guy was absolutely crazy to watch in college. And I think he's, I think there's a, I think there's an argument out there to say that he's even, even more exciting to watch today. So I'm going to do an opposite approach. I'm going to just skip ahead to my number two player. Cause it was Christian McCaffrey. I mean, uh, for me, I think uh, he was the lowest ranked player to make my re rank. He was ranked 91st overall in the thing. And that was, that's a steal, Brandon. I mean, 91st overall, you get Christian McCaffrey. I'll take it every single day. I mean, I mean, 2015 AP player of the year, consensus all American, Johnny Rogers award winner, Pac 12 player of the year. I mean, he was top 10 in the country in rushing yards and led the Pac 12 twice in rushing yards. And led the NCAA in scrimmage yards in 2015 as well and led the Pac-12. I mean, dominant on special teams as well. I mean, that's why. So I have another running back at three, but this is why I jumped to McCaffrey at two is because he was better on special teams. I mean, number he was third in the country in kick return yards and first in the Pac-12. And he's seventh all time in history for kick return averages and top 10 all three years in punt returns in the Pac-12. For me, Brandon. McCaffrey is the most versatile player in the incident play during his time at Stanford. And you mentioned his, his last season. He had a, he had an injury that slowed him down. But if he didn't have that injury, his stats would be even more outrageous. And that's even shown in his, his second place finish in the Hosman voting in 2015. I mean, McCaffrey had it, had it all guys. And that's why he's my number two player in, in, in my re rank. But to skip back to three, I have Nick Chubb, Brandon. 
I have the Georgia running back, Nick Chubb, 33rd ranked overall player. Listen, I know Fournette was number one in this class, but I looked at overall career over just that one explosive year Fournette had. And, I mean, Chubb ran for over 4,700 yards in his career and had 44 rushing touchdowns, a 6.3 yards per carry um, throughout his career. And he ranked second, Brandon, in SEC history in rushing yards, seventh in rushing touchdowns in SEC history, and he's top 20 in the SEC in yards per attempt. I mean, for me, I mean, we talked about RBU, and this is why I picked Georgia. Chubb is arguably the most dominant and consistent SEC running back in recent history because he did it over four years. Other running backs like Fournette, Derrick Henry, Mark Ingram, they only had really one or two years where they dominated. Chubb dominated almost all four years except for his sophomore year where he got hurt. But his freshman, junior, and senior year put up over a 1,000 yards and was the most consistent back. And for me, that's why he's over Fournette. And I think he ranks third here, but McCaffrey edges him out for my number two spot because of special teams. Yeah, I get that. And, and speaking, I don't want to say speaking special teams, but but my next player, um, Zach, let me ask you this before I get started. When you think of someone who's going into the recruiting cycle listed as an athlete, what do you think of? You think of, oh, that guy's probably, he probably plays wide receiver and cornerback, and he's probably going to end up being a cornerback because he can't catch. Is that, I mean, that's what I think of. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you, so you think of a guy that could play either position, but he's probably going to play one. Well, I'm going to talk about a guy who played every position in college, and that's Jabril Peppers. He's my number two player just because he was – I don't want to even say like dominant. He was very good at every position that he played. Um, He played three – he was listed as three different positions over his three seasons at at Michigan. He played defensive back, safety, and and linebackers. He was a cornerback, a safety, and a linebacker over his tenure there. Um, Not only this, he was a kick returner. He also, I mean, he played offense. That's nuts. It's nuts that you can play offense. Um, I don't know. He, he played every single position, and I just – and this wasn't even, like, based off the of stats for me. This was based off of what I remember from the, from the people who played in the class 2014. Uh, just remembering Jabril Pepper's play was it, – it, it was crazy. Old guys loved him because they reminded him of just old smash-mouth football where you played both sides of the field, which he did. I mean, not like consistently he didn't, but he could. Um, I mean, and he was incredible when it came to punt returning, kick returning, whatever you want to talk about. In 2016, he led the Big Ten in punt return yards with 310. He came, you know, he was third in the NCAA that year. Um, and he he didn't even have the most punt returns. He had 21 punt returns that season. That's, that's fourth in the Big Ten alone. So I, I don't know where he landed in the NCAA. Um, he, he had one punt return for a touchdown that season. Uh, but like I said, I, I don't want to talk about all of his stats. I just want to talk about how dominant a player he seemed like to me during his tenure, and that lands him at number two on my list. Yeah, I had I had him at six on my list. I just I just I don't know, man. Like I mean he was dominant in so many different positions, but I, I just I don't think he was I, I think every player in my list could make an argument that they were the best player at their position, at least in their conference. And I, I mean, Ohio, Ohio State had a lot of good defensive players. There was some at Wisconsin. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure if Jabril Peppers made the complete cut for me, but like I, I respect the pick. I think Jabril Peppers is a great pick there. His If we ever do an NFL career, he definitely could make it because he has not done as well in the NFL as you know most people projected. But I, I respect that pick a lot. 
Yeah, Zach. And since neither one of us have named him yet, uh, I think that number one was pretty. It, it was it better be for me. At least. It, it yeah. better be. We're talking about Deshaun Watson here. Yes, Deshaun Watson. Go All ahead. Right. I'll let you go first. I'll, I'll come. I'll come in behind you, man. Well, I don't want to steal Zach's thunder, but but as as the heart guy here, um, I just remember I remember Deshaun Watson devastating Alabama, and that that's the main reason that he's on my list. Um, Twenty sixteen was a great year, uh, but no, I, I mean over his entire career, just an incredible quarterback. Um, I mean, what what can you really say about this guy that that hasn't been said? Uh, I, I mean, over I mean, even his freshman year, you know, he only played eight games um, as compared to his fifteen, his, his junior, I'm sorry, his sophomore and junior seasons. Um, he never had a, a passing percentage that was less than sixty seven percent. He went sixty seven point nine, sixty seven point eight, and sixty seven percent his senior year. He had over four thousand yards passing two out of his three years, and one of those years he almost touched 4,600 yards passing. Uh, that's incredible. I mean, to to have over 10,000 yards passing in your career in a three-year career is absolutely nuts. And this guy did it. He had 90 touchdowns over his career, including 41 passing touchdowns. And this is just passing, by the way. These are just passing stats. I mean, we can go down to rushing if you want, Zach, because over his career – he, he had nearly 2,000 yards rushing, and that includes 1,100 yards his sophomore season alone. 12 rushing touchdowns his sophomore season, nine his, his junior season. And if you – I mean, he had 50 combined touchdowns over over his, his, his junior season alone. I mean, this guy was a star. Yeah, a star might – I mean, uh, this might be a little bit controversial here. Uh, the number one player in this class by far is Deshaun Watson, and – I, I, so let's hear me out. I think he probably is the most dominant quarterback in recent memory back to Tebow because everyone else that we consider like Cam Newton, Joe Burrow, they only did it for one year, Brandon. Deshaun Watson yeah. dominated his entire career. So as a body of work, Deshaun Watson could be one of the best quarterbacks in recent memory. And he finished top three in the hospital voting, you know, and I think he easily could be um, would you say that he could easily, if you look at it right, uh, the best player to never win a Hosman Trophy? Oh, absolutely. And like Brandon said, I mean, he in in his career, I mean, he had over ten thousand passing yards and ninety touchdowns, just passing. Brandon, I want I want to list the ranking here. He's first in ACC history and completion percentage, fourth in passing yards, third in passing touchdowns fourth in passer efficiency and third in touchdowns responsible for of all time in ACC history. I mean, how many good players have been in the ACC, especially a quarterback? Uh, too many to name. And not even that. I mean, he won. He's one of the most decorated players of all time outside of the Heisman. I mean, he's a two-time Manning Award winner, two-time Davey O'Brien Award winner, a Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award winner, ACC Offense Player of the Year, ACC Player of the Year. I mean, for me, guys, Deshaun Watson is by far the best player in this class, and this class was much more loaded than 2013, and Deshaun Watson probably could win the top spot in just about any of the classes that we're, we have even yet to analyze because Deshaun Watson is probably one of the more underrated and underappreciated players of probably my recent memory, and I think once time, like once this ages a little bit, people will look back and really appreciate how good Deshaun Watson really was. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and guys, that's – and I know Zach and I talked about it, but this class was so loaded. And, and I know I'm kind of catching you off guard here, Zach, but how many players did we not list that that would have been on this list if it were almost any other year? I mean, I mean how, about, how about Quentin Nelson? Who Quentin Nelson, arguably yes. the best offensive guard to play in the past decade. He made our all-decade team. Marlon Humphrey, Rashawn Evans, Dalvin Cook. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. Adoree Jackson, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, I mean, Bo Scarborough. There's too many players to name. But And that's just in the top 50. Marshawn Lattimore, I mean, that's just the top 50. Yeah, I mean, this class was just outrageous. I mean, you can go down NFL rosters and they're probably in this 2014 recruiting class guys. I mean, Sony Michelle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sony Michelle is another one. I had, I had a real issue not putting him in there. I mean, the, the, there's just so many, and Marlon Humphrey shut down corner. Like you said, I mean, there's just so many people and Quentin Nelson probably has an argument to be the best player in this class. But as we all know, offensive line, we get no respect here. Apparently, but yeah, but Quentin Nelson's arguably the best interior offensive lineman in, in years, guys. And that's, I think that's shown now, even in the NFL. Absolutely. But guys, we're going to move on. Last segment of the day. It's your favorite. We're back with a recruiting update and check out all our recent episodes, except for the interviews to catch up on all our recent updates. And today we head up to Madison, Wisconsin to analyze the Wisconsin Badgers 2021 class. They're trying to follow up a right outside top 25 classroom last season. And Paul Christ is looking to find some more elite players to build on a Big Ten championship run from last season. This class is headlined with seven top 500 recruits, and there's still plenty of spots open in this recruiting class, so the work is not done for Chris and his staff. Brandon, what's your take on this class, and do you see Wisconsin taking that next step to be a national contender for years to come? Man, I hope so. Everyone knows how much I love uh, how much I love Wisconsin just for no reason. Like I have no ties to Wisconsin. I just I think I like them because the running backs are usually pretty good, and I love a good running back. Everyone knows that. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, this class, it, it, it looks solid, right? From outside looking in at least, I mean, their, their class is headlined by two, six foot seven tackles, um, in JP, uh, Ben Shoel and, and Riley Mullen, uh, Mullman. Um, I mean, they're absolutely, they're absolute monsters. I mean, six foot seven, two sixty two seventy respectively. Um, and they've been, they've been committed for I mean, for a while now. I mean, one's been one's been committed for over a year. One's been committed for nearly a year, um, and, and they've really spread this uh, class out. I mean, they have those two offensive linemen committed. Uh, they have three running backs committed, which is nuts. But it's Wisconsin, so it's to be expected. They have three three star running backs committed right now. Um, uh, they have one quarterback, uh, three linebackers, two, two defensive backs, and they've spread the recruits out not only by position but by uh, location. I didn't realize that Wisconsin recruited all over the country like it looks like they are right now. Um, they've obviously had a lot of success uh, recruiting nationwide, which is good to see for the Badgers. Um, uh, and to be completely honest with you, I mean, right now they only have 15 commits. And there's, I mean, they're ranked number 12 in the country. I see it going up from here. I mean, I mean, they're third in the Big Ten right now. Last year they finished fifth. Uh, 
They finished 26 in the nation last year. I see them finishing higher than that, and I think they are taking the right steps. Do I think that they're taking you know all steps necessary to be that national contender that, that they keep fighting to be? I'm not positive about that. I think you're going to have to give Graham Mertz the, uh, the reins first before, any, before we even have any talks about that. But I like what I'm seeing out of this Wisconsin recruiting class. I mean, they, they're building up the offensive line like they normally do. They've got the running backs locked down, um, and they've got a good quarterback in waiting. And, and they have another one you know, that was recruited, uh, a pro-style quarterback out of Santa Barbara, California, and Deacon Hill. Um, they've got another one in waiting, obviously. So I, I'm excited to see what we're going to see out of the Badgers this season. Yeah, and I mean, listen, guys, domination in the Midwest is what drives this class. I mean, Brandon kind of talked about it. I mean, they have the number one player in Wisconsin and Minnesota. And, you know, it it shows the dominance here because Minnesota's on the upswing. So you figure, you know, Minnesota would have a good chance with these top recruits. And they have every single top five player out of Wisconsin committed, Brandon, already. Yeah. And they have the number two players player in Iowa already committed. And, you know, they like you said, they've been recruiting across the country. They have recruits out of Florida, Tennessee, in one out of California. Uh, I'm, I'm really, really impressed with what Paul Chris and his staff are doing on the trail right now. I mean, to build relationships across the country in a time where that may be difficult without face-to-face interaction, I think it speaks volumes about what the staff and this program has become. I mean, uh, I, I think Wisconsin has really been at the forefront of like national, I guess, c- competitiveness for a long time now. And, you know, like you said, the top two, re- top two recruits in this class are going to continue a long line of offensive line dominance. I mean, you, you spoke, they're both six, seven, and they're both 260 to 270 pounds. I mean, that's, that, that's, outrageous in my opinion i mean they're both top 150 recruits as well and now i want to talk about each of them separately so we're talking about jp first um you know i think he's perfect to be an anchor as on the left side of the offensive line i think you know his basketball background is what really interests me because i mean a big guy like this that can move and has the athleticism to really be good at at, at basketball is going to I think work wonders for a big kid like him. I mean, it for offensive tackle to be able to move and bend and pick up blitzes, these fast physical edge rushers, the finesse moves that they're equipped with now. I think having a background of another sport like basketball, baseball, soccer, something like that is huge. And I'm looking for this kid to play on Sundays, and I think he should be able to be the next great tackle at Wisconsin. And then we'll go to Riley uh, Malman, and I think he's the perfect counterpart to JP on the other side. I mean, he also plays basketball, Brandon. So you got two hyper athletic tackles to um, anchor the ends, ends of your offensive line. And I think these two guys should give Wisconsin one of the best future offensive tackle duos in the country. And for me, Malman is going to be another immediate contributor. And I think both of these guys can play on Sunday. I don't know about you, Brandon, but I watched some of their film. And I think if they get developed right and they put a little bit more muscle on and they get some experience in the system, I think they're going to be bulldozers. And I think they are going to easily be – you're easily going to be able to hear their names on Sunday very, very soon. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, it just lives up to that history at Wisconsin. Zach, I know this may be premature, but I know that you normally like to talk about uh, maybe a lesser known player that might stick out. Uh, so why don't we go ahead and move on there? Um, yeah. And I'm going to go ahead. You want me to go first? Or you want to go first? Yeah. 
Uh, you know, I'll take first. I always put you on the spot, so I'll, I'll go, go ahead and l- let you relax that, for a little bit. That, um, <laughs> that means that means Zach has someone he really likes, and he doesn't want me to I, talk about him. I do. I, I really, really like this kid, and you know, I want to start with Jack with, with Jake Cheney. He is ranked eight hundred and thirty ninth overall, thirty seventh inside linebacker out of Lehigh Acres, Florida. Um. He had offers from Michigan, Pitt, Cincinnati, Miami, and it shows that, you know, he may be under the radar, but he was starting to uh, garner some attention from these other teams, and Wisconsin locked him up quick. He has size and athleticism to be a real problem at the middle linebacker spot, guys. He's six foot two ten right now, and he has room to put weight on that frame, and he probably can even grow because he's only a junior in high school. And, you know, I watched the entire, I think his film was like six minutes, and I watched it, and I have some takeaways from the film. And, Brandon, if you aren't doing anything later tonight, watch this kid's film because this kid is really blew me away for being below 800th overall. And first is the patience that Cheney possesses to let the play develop and let the holes open, and he reads plays so well. And I think his patience is outstanding. And I think it's a skill that a lot of incoming linebackers have to learn. And it slows their development to really step into a defense. But that's the first thing I noticed about Cheney is how he just, he can, he strays perfectly and he reads, he reads the offense um, great. And I think he's going to be a real problem with that patience. And secondly, uh, added onto that patience is his physicality. Every single play, Brandon, he hit somebody. And he, it, it wasn't just like a tap, man. He ran through people and he finds a perfect way of balancing patient skill and then just the physicality that you look for in a linebacker. I mean, multiple plays on the tape. I think it was even first, second play. He runs through blockers or if he doesn't run through a blocker, he runs through the tackle and it's just amazing to watch. And speaking about tackling, I love his efficiency in tackling. Um, on the film, of course, there's no missed tackles on the film, but the, his form and ability to be, to tackle and read plays is really going to project him as a hundred to 150 tackle guy a year. I mean, Brandon, in last season as a junior, he had a hundred tackles, 10 tackles for loss, two sacks and a fumble recovery. I mean, uh, this kid was all over the field and as a junior to get a hundred tackles is outstanding because you still expect the junior to be developing and, the only thing that I would like to see more is better pass coverage. Maybe some INTs, you know, maybe some pass deflections, better just ability to be out in the open field and pass coverage. But I think this kid is a hard nosed run stopper, downhill player, and he's going to be a plug in the middle of this Wisconsin defense. And I don't know how you, if you guys watched a lot of Wisconsin football, go watch back some of their games. The defense is hard nosed, disciplined. And they're in, the, and they know their assignments, and that is what Cheney is, and he is perfect fit for this hard nosed nature of this James Leonard defense in Madison. Yeah, absolutely, man. And and, and you almost made me more mad than I can possibly fathom uh, when you said Jack at first, because I thought that you you were going to say Jake, but you just said Jack. So I'm going to talk about Jack Pugh real quick. Jack Pugh is a tight end um, who has been committed, who just recently committed to Wisconsin, actually less than a month ago. Or actually, I'm sorry, exactly a month ago. Uh, on May 25th, we, surprise guys, we recorded there early. Um, he's a four-star tight end, so yeah, not really a sleeper. But I'm going to go ahead and call him a sleeper because his other offers were to Akron, Boston College, Bowling Green, Cincinnati. He only had a few other offers from Division One schools, and those were uh, Indiana, Duke, Iowa State, 
I mean, we're not talking about big football programs here. I'd say, uh, obviously, the he, he had two other, or I'm sorry, three other fairly big uh, name schools offer him. I'm not sure if they offered him a scholarship or not, and that might be why he's at Wisconsin. But he was offered by uh, he was offered by Michigan, Minnesota, and Penn State as well. Um, but moving forward with this kid, I, I mean, what I like about him so much is that he's not even listed as, as a uh, as an athlete here. He's listed as a tight end, but I have a feeling that when he gets to Wisconsin, he's going to end up on the defensive side of the ball, and he's going to be a defensive end. Uh, this is a big kid. I mean, he's six foot five, two hundred thirty five pounds, huge. Uh, I'd like to see him get a little bit faster if he is going to play tight end or defensive end, but especially tight end. I like to see him get a little bit faster because through watching his tape in high school, it doesn't really seem like he's a big uh, blocking tight end. It looks like he's going out on routes a lot more, um, which I, I mean, I can speak to that a little bit. He's very physical, you know, that given the size that he is uh, as a junior in high school, he's six, five, two thirty five. Um, I'd just say, give him until he gets to Wisconsin. This kid's going to end up, I mean, I could see him even being two forty five, two fifty by the time he gets there. Who knows what the kid's done growing? I mean, he's six foot five, but I mean, for all we know, he could end up being six 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 seven by the time he he's playing for the Badgers. Um, very physical uh, going out on routes. I know he lined up a wide receiver a good bit, um, but I just I, I liked overall what I saw from this kid. I mean, he's ranked three hundred twenty ninth in the country. He's the fourteenth uh, tight end in the country. Um, he may have been overlooked by by a few programs, and I think that Wisconsin really got a got a. a Got a diamond in the rough here with this player. Yeah, and I mean, just looking through their class overall, I just find kids that fit the system. They're not going after these five stars that, you know, that most people are. They're just going after kids that might be a little bit under the radar that fit their system, that are talented, and that's what has what's made Wisconsin successful. I mean, you know, these maybe not as highly talented kids that have a lot of potential. And then Wisconsin has done an excellent job of developing players. So I think overall this class can be summed up in one word and it's just, it's just Wisconsin. Like it's, it's a perfect, perfect fit. And all the kids are disciplined, hard nosed, fast, physical, and are going to make plays on Saturday. And I can't wait to see them suit up guys. But right now that is the end of this episode. Um, uh, we're back officially now, so same schedule as usual, guys, uh, posting episodes. We had to take a little bit of a break there, but we got some good interviews in. Uh, let us know what y'all think of those. But social media, guys, Instagram at the underscore Blue Bloods, Twitter at the underscore underscore Blue Bloods. Um, I, you know, Brandon, we got to get back on that. We we kind of slacked up for them and, you know, haven't really fought for our namesake on there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. We we gotta <laughs> we gotta we gotta we gotta take this calculus account down. We're not we're not dealing with nerds anymore. We're not gonna let that pass us by. <laughs> but guys, Facebook is at the Blue Bloods Pod. You know, we promised y'all something. We've been asking you guys to rate the podcast. We have a we we've been getting more and more five star ratings on the podcast. So we love you guys so much, all our listeners. We did say we'd read um, you know, comments if y'all gave them. We did get one. Um you know, it's just, Brandon, you'll love this. It is just labeled hot takes. That That is the okay. title of the rating. And it says, love the detail on this pod that other mainstream CFB pods won't indulge in. But man, chill with the ridiculous hot takes and mispronouncing coaches and players' names. Keep up the great work. Listen, guys, all the takes on here are real. 
you know, it, it is as what we think. That's why we started this pod, but we love you guys. Listen, if, if two kids from, you know, Mississippi and Alabama, I feel like we do all right on the names. We're going to work on that. Uh, but I don't know if y'all noticed, I did not say the name of JP, the offensive tackle, because I know I would have butchered it. Um, you know, I, I, they need like a Rosetta Stone for like weird names, Brandon. I, you know, I, I'm going to contact Rosetta Stone and see if we can get one of those because I need some help here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> let me know what they say. <laughs> but guys, a uh, website, thebluebloodspod.com. You know, it's quarantine. We've been slacking. I'm going to get you guys some articles up there. Uh, I know we've been in talk about some. So stay tuned. We'll get the website back up and rolling. We've taken a a hiatus, we'll call it, from the website, but we'll get it back up and going. Um, find the podcast anywhere, guys. Subscribe, rate the podcast, leave a comment. We'll read it like this. We love all our listeners, bro. You guys keep subscribing and listening. We'll keep dropping episodes. But for right now, guys, we out. <laughs>